One of the things that my family looks forward to year in and year out is a place called Rock Lake. Rock Lake is a beautiful place in northern Ontario. We drive up there every year, and my kids long for it. They look forward to it. They look forward to fishing day in and day out. They look forward to jumping off rocks into the lake. They look forward to being outside and just wandering around and playing in a safe place. For Sarah and I, or for me, probably more importantly, when I cross that bridge into Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there's something that comes over me. Now, I've been here for 19 years now, which is hard to believe. It'll be 19 years in August. 1996 is when I came. But when I cross that bridge, even though it's not the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, it's a steel town, there's a big steel plant right there, it's not the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen. But when I cross that bridge, for me, it is home. Is it not? I walk back in there and I go there and then this is where I grew up. This is my home. This is where I was meant to be. Five minutes from the wilderness with beauty all around me, Lake Superior, Lake Huron, got the St. Mary's River, I've got all this stuff right at my fingertips. I am home. And so many memories flood your mind. So many things. And the other thing that excites me is that I am completely off the grid. I don't have a cell phone. I don't have a computer. I've got nothing. All I've got is my family, my mom and dad, my sister and her kids, and people that I grew up with that I loved. And I anticipate that every year. I look forward to it. And we all have those things, right, in our lives that we long for, that we look forward to. You've got those places where you go and you take a vacation and you plan for it, right? You're in there, you're looking on the web and saying, all right, I'm going to such and such a place. What can I do there? What are the exciting things? What's the local things? What are the restaurants that I can eat at? What are the things that I can do? And we wait for those things and we long for those things and we live with them with great expectation as we prepare for them. I can remember as a kid, we lived way up in Canada, and my all my rest of my family lived down in Tennessee. And I saw my grandparents maybe every four years, right? And I anticipated them coming. I longed for it. Now, when you're a kid, when you wait for things, it seems like it takes forever, right? I mean, you're like, man, when is this going to happen? When is this going to occur? But when you think about the things that you anticipate in your life, these are nice things to to think about and to ponder. And the nice thing about it is is that we have control over it, right? We know exactly when that's going to occur. We can work with our bosses and say, hey, I need such and such a week off because I'm going to be taking a vacation. I'm going overseas or I'm going to Colorado or I'm going to Boston or wherever. And you can plan around those things. We know when those things are going to occur. We have control over them, or at least we think we do. Right? And we plan for those things. And we know the exact time and the exact day. When we're sitting there on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday at work, we're counting down the hours before we can get to the airport and get on that plane and get out of Dodge. Right? We live with expectation about those things. We can see the clock ticking down until that time occurs. Last week, Phil talked to us about two main things regarding our purpose as a church. And he challenged us with two points. And I know that probably you guys know what they are, but I'm going to remind you. The first one was he challenged us to what? To own it. To own our walk and our relationship 
with God. He challenged us to own it. The second thing that he challenged us with was to live it. To live the gospel. When people look at us, they see Jesus. He said that we are here for the purpose of making God look good. That is why we're here. He reminded us last week that persecution is coming for us who love and know Jesus as our Savior. And we need to be prepared for that day and to live in such a way that God is glorified. Our lives need to point to Him. At the end of the passage that Philip read last week and he shared with us, there are two verses that kind of tie in well with his message and the talk that we're going to have this morning. And those two verses say this. It's verse 11 and 12 of 1 Peter 2. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that though they malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when He appears. Let me repeat that last line. It says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God when He appears. We need to live in such a way that they will glorify God because of the good deeds that we exhibit and the life that we exemplify, which is Christ. We need to live in such a way that they cannot point fingers at us and say, you did this and you did that. Our lives need to line up with what we say we believe. But it goes even further. And it says this at the end of that phrase. There's an, a promise and an absolute statement. It says, when He appears. Let me repeat that. When He appears. That little word, when, is a very important word. Right? He doesn't say, if I appear, or maybe I will appear. He says, when I appear. It is an absolute statement. He is coming back. Let me repeat that. Jesus is coming back. That's pretty awesome. We have a promise given to us by Jesus that He is coming back. Unlike our planned vacations, though, there's a little problem, right? And that problem is, is that we don't know when He is coming back. Someone joked with me last week and they're like, are you going to set a time and a date and all that kind of stuff when Jesus comes back? No. <laughs> we would love to know so that we can be prepared for that, right? We would love to know the exact time that Jesus is coming back so that we can be ready. So that we can sit here waiting on pins and needles because Jesus is coming back. But He doesn't tell us when that day is going to come, does He? He doesn't give us an hour. He doesn't give us a time. He just gives us a promise. And that promise is that He's coming back. There's a story that illustrates this in Matthew chapter 25. And I want to read it to you. And it's a parable that He gives. And He says in verse 25, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, He says this, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of the virgins were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take extra olive oil with them. But the wise ones took flasks of oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom was delayed a long time, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout. Look, the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up. They trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there won't be enough for you and for us. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived. And those who were ready went inside with him to the wedding banquet. Then the door was shut. Later, the other virgins came too, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you. Therefore, stay alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. Stay alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. I think a lot of times in our lives, right, we get busy with life. And because we don't know the day or hour, and we look back and it's been 2,000 plus years since God made that promise that He's coming back for us, we get lazy, right? We don't pay attention to what's going on around us. We forget that promise that He's coming back. We live our lives for the here and now instead of for what is to come. We get lazy. We're not sitting in our office counting down the days until Jesus comes back. We're not sitting in our office thinking, hey, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a week from now. But I need to live as if Christ is coming back today. I need to be preparing for that day when I see Jesus face to face. Because we know it's happening, do we not? The Bible's pretty clear that is going to happen. That we will all stand and we will all get to see Jesus face to face. Pretty awesome. A lot of us maybe begin to doubt and ask questions. Is he really coming back? Man, it has been forever. He said that to the disciples a long time ago. Is he coming back? Some of you high schoolers, some of you college kids, you're being bombarded with life and all the things that are around us. And we talked about some of those things this morning at church. And you start to doubt, hey, my friends are having a blast. And here I am waiting. And you begin to doubt and struggle with that. Is he coming back? Is it worth it to sit here and wait? So I want to add the third point to Philip's message. And that third point is you got own it, you've got live it. And the third one I want to say today is expect it. We need to expect it that Jesus is coming back. And at the foundation of living it and owning it is that joy and that hope and that knowledge that we have as believers that Jesus is coming back. And we need to expect it and live our lives with that great expectation. My goal this morning is to encourage you to live like He is coming back today. And if not today, then tomorrow. 
I want to encourage you not to grow weary in looking for Him. Don't grow weary in waiting. Yes, it is hard to wait for things that are good. Ask anybody in here. It is hard to wait, especially when we're looking forward to something so great. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, it says this. It says, So when they had gathered together, they began to ask Him, Lord, is this the time when You are restoring the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? He told them, You are not permitted to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. After he said this, while they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taking up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now, I kind of chuckled a little bit when I read that passage and was thinking through that. It seems to me like it's a pretty silly question that these two men are asking the disciples. Why are you standing there looking up? I think we would all be standing there looking up, right? Looking up at this, as at God, Jesus, rising into heaven. They're staring there, looking. Imagine the flood of emotion that they have occurred in their lives over the last three, four days, right? Their king, who they thought would come establish his kingdom right then and there, was crucified. They hid in fear in a room. And then, what happens? They see the risen Lord, and he appears to them on multiple occasions, and they're ecstatic. They see Jesus alive with them. And then they're sitting in this room and he's talking to them and he's telling them these things. And he's like, no, this isn't the time you're not to know. You're not permitted to know these things. And all of a sudden he's gone again and he rises into heaven and they're staring there. And you can imagine what is going on. And then these two angels stand there and they make a promise. And they say, hey, this same Jesus that you're looking at that is going up to heaven, he's going to come back in the same way. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that statement affected the way that they live their lives? Do you think that statement and that promise affected how they did ministry? Yes. I honestly, with all my heart, believe that they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And they lived in such a way that they expected it at any moment in time. And they were ecstatic about it. They yearned for it. They longed for it because they believed that Jesus was coming back. And it changed their lives. And obviously we get the Holy Spirit coming in in Acts chapter 2, which opened their eyes to all the statements and all the promises and all the things that Jesus had told them while they walked with Him on earth. I can guarantee that that image of the Lord ascending was etched in their brains for the remainder of their lives. They lived each and every day with great expectation that today could be the day when Jesus came back to establish His kingdom. Why? Because they wanted to be with Him. Where else would they go? He has the words of eternal life. 
They stated that to him as he walked on earth. There was nowhere else that they wanted to be because he was God. They wanted to be with him. They longed for him. They yearned for that. And they longed to see his return. Have you guys thought about the first time that you will see Jesus face to face? I want you to let that sink in for a little bit. Think about that moment for a second. Think about what it will be like when you see Jesus for the first time. Think about it. And I'm not just talking to the adults. I'm talking to you guys up here as well. Think about that time when you will see Jesus face to face. I can remember the first time I saw my beautiful bride. I really can. And I tell you what, it was remarkable. When Dave, my father-in-law, those doors were open at the back of the church, and I saw Sarah standing there, and I know, sorry, she doesn't like me doing this, but I saw her standing there, and stunned. I was amazed. It was the most remarkable thing I've ever seen in my life. The most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. As she's walking towards me, I'm looking around, and my mom's like staring at me because I'm like crying and all this stuff. And, and I don't know if you've ever done that at a wedding, but watch the groom when he sees his bride for the first time. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. That is one of the most remarkable weekends of my life. Probably my, one of my favorite, if not my favorite weekend of my life. And I've had a lot of weekends so far, but that is the best. And the reason it was the best was because, not just because I got to see Sarah walk down that aisle towards me, but I was with my family. I was with my friends. I was with the people that I loved. And that's only going to happen two times in your life, right? It's at your wedding and at your funeral, and you're not going to be able to enjoy the second one, right? But at your wedding, that weekend, that whole weekend, it was remarkable. It was special. It was something that will forever be etched in my brain because I was with the people that I love and cherish that have poured into my life and that are celebrating this wedding. Isn't that what it's going to be like in heaven? We're going to be with our family, with the ones that we love. We are a family here in this building and around the world. All the nations of the world will be present. And there will be tribes and languages and all these different things that are going to be present. And we're all going to be there for one purpose. And that purpose is Christ. Have you thought about the first time that you see Jesus face to face? Now, I can imagine that in this room, there's probably a lot of different thoughts that are going through your mind. Some of you are sitting here ecstatic. You can't wait. And you're ready. And you're excited about that day when you see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is joy. There is anticipation. Some of you may be sitting here in shame, in fear, saying, I'm not ready. This past week was awful, and I sinned a bunch, and I did not honor the Lord. I'm not ready. I'm ashamed of how I've acted. Some of you may be here, sitting here thinking, really? 
do I really believe that He's coming back? Do I really believe that Jesus is real? Do I believe that? Others may sitting here thinking, and I was this way in high school, can you just hold off a couple years? <laughs> I'd like to get married, you know. I mean, there's all different kinds of thoughts that are probably sitting here in this room. There may be fear. There may be anxiety thinking about that. But let me tell you, it's going to be pretty special. And it's something that we need to be preparing for now. It may happen today. It may happen tomorrow. It may ha not happen for another hundred years. But we are all guaranteed to see Jesus face to face, whether He comes back for us or whether we die here and we see Him in heaven. So I ask my second question. Are we helping each other be prepared for that day? Are we encouraging one another and reminding each other, hey, today could be the day. Do we have an eternal perspective on our lives? Or are we focused on the here and now? When we think about our relationships, do we have an per eternal perspective on those relationships? Do you have an eternal perspective on your marriages? Do you have an eternal perspective on your children? Do you have an eternal perspective on your neighbors? Do you have an eternal perspective as a whole here, as a body that we celebrate, or that we come together and meet with? One of the things that kind of spurred me, I was reading a book and it, and it kind of challenged me. Is your spouse or is my spouse more prepared today than she was yesterday to see Jesus? Is your husband more prepared today than he was yesterday to see Jesus? Are your children more prepared today to see Jesus than they were yesterday? Are your neighbors, are your church family, are we more prepared as a body to see Jesus today than we were yesterday? Sometimes I don't think we are. Because we forget that He's not, that He's coming back. We get lazy in that. If you know Jesus as your Savior, we shouldn't be afraid of the day that Jesus is coming back. Unless you're not living in a manner that's worthy of Him. But we don't need to be afraid of that day. Yes, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We need to be in awe and respect of who He is. But we don't need to be afraid. We should be longing for and looking forward to that day when we're with Him. I can remember when the Mercy Me song came out and I can remember working with Caleb and thinking about that. Like, dude, you got to hear this song. It's awesome. And it's talked about, I can only imagine. We don't know what our response is going to be when we see Jesus face to face. Whether we'll be on our face, whether we'll be standing there with huge smiles on our face. We don't know what it's going to be like. We can only imagine what it's going to be like. But we can start preparing for that day now. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, David says this. He says, I have asked the Lord for one thing. This is what I desire. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so I can gaze at the splendor of the Lord and contemplate in His temple. That was the one thing that David wanted. That he could dwell in the house of the Lord forever and stare at Him. 
could stare at him. When you think about staring, we always have kind of have a bad connotation, right? You think about your kids, they're like, they see someone a little different, maybe dressed a little different, looks a little different, and you stare, and you're like, come on, dude, don't stare. It's the opposite with God, though, right? He wants us to stare and gaze at Him. It's an awesome, awesome thing. And we can prepare now by looking at Him through His Word. What happens when you stare at God? You start seeing who He is. You start seeing His incredible attributes. You start growing in your anticipation of being with Him. There's an excitement that builds as you stare at Him because you're overwhelmed that you can't stare long enough. His beauty grows and grows and grows. It does not diminish when you stare. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's pretty awesome. There's a story, uh, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. It's, it's, it's not the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. It's another one, but Lucy's standing there, and she's grown as she's in Narnia. And she looks at Aslan, the lion, and she looks at him, and she's like, Aslan, you're bigger. You're larger. And he looks at her and he says, you know what? As a child, you saw me as a child. But as you grow, I get bigger and bigger and bigger. When we stare at God, He gets bigger. And we see how awesome He is. When you stare at God, you see that He is a holy God. And when you see that He is a holy God, what does that push you to do? It pushes you to lay aside the things of this world and focus on Him. It is a chain reaction. When you see God as a holy God with that's absolutely pure, no speck of darkness in Him, it causes you to let go of the things of this world and to not pursue sin, but to say, you know what? I don't want that. I want more of this. When you see God and you stare at God, you see His incredible compassion and His forgiveness. You see yourself as a sinner, but you're longing for that. And you see His forgiveness because He puts His arm around you and says, don't do that anymore. And He's a compassionate God. And He loves you. When you stare at God, the peace that you find in God grows and grows and grows. And when you're facing those trials, when you're facing those persecutions, when you're facing those difficulties of life, that peace is there because you're staring at Him. You see God's justice when you stare at Him. You see the end result of what's going to occur to those that don't know Jesus as their Savior when you stare at Him. And that love and that longing to proclaim the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ so that your neighbors are with Him forever grows. And that desire grows because why? We're staring at Him. We're staring at the One that matters most. We see God's kindness. We see so many things about God when we look at Him. And that should be our desire as well, like it was for David, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever so that I may gaze upon Your beauty. If you want to be prepared for God's return, 
for Jesus coming back, for that first time that you see Jesus face to face, you need to stare at Him now. And it's only going to get better. And it's only going to grow. It's pretty awesome. When we stare at God, our desire to share with what we've seen with our brothers and sisters in Christ grows. Does it not? When you experience something new with God, when you acknowledge something that He's challenging you with, we need to come alongside and say, hey, guess what I saw about God today? And know what that does? It helps prepare your brothers and sisters in Christ to see Jesus. We are a family. We need to be coming around one another. We need to be coming alongside and encouraging and helping prepare for that day. And that takes all shapes and forms. You younger generation, believe it or not, you need this older generation. You need their wisdom, their experience. And they want to share that with you. You older generation, that generation up there that's sitting in the balcony, you need them. Because without them, we die. Without that generation coming up, we don't have the vitality of youth and the excitement and the passion for life. We need one another, but we need to work together. We need to prepare one another for that day that we see Jesus face to face. We need to come alongside and encourage and show love to one another. As a sister told me, when she thinks about seeing Jesus face to face, it's about coming alongside someone who's struggling or hurting or maybe living even in sin and putting their arm around them and sharing Jesus with them and loving them. Saying, hey, I don't agree necessarily with what you're doing, but I love you and I want to point you to Jesus because He is the one that matters the most. Guys, it's coming and we need to expect it. And you know something pretty cool? Is that when we stare at Jesus, what occurs? We get a bigger picture of who God is. But even far beyond that, it becomes more and more visible in our lives, does it not? That hope that we have becomes a part of who we are. People see it in our eyes. They see it in our smile. They see it how we face trials. How we face death. Someone said this on Wednesday morning. They said, in our world, people fear death, but they don't fear God. It should be the opposite. We shouldn't fear death as believers, right? We need to live a life in fear of God and on respect of Him. But as we grow and as we stare, our relationship with the Lord, that hope becomes more visible. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. Did you hear that? Give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that you possess. The only way they're going to ask is if they see it. That is the only way. And as we stare at God, and as we delve into His Word, as we gaze upon His beauty, that hope that we have, that joy becomes more and more and more visible. And people see it. And they ask about it. And that gives us opportunity to point them to Jesus and say, hey, He's coming back. We need to live 
expectation for that. Our lives need to be visible in the hope that we have. And we have a hope. I can promise you that we will not be disappointed when we see Jesus face to face. We'll not be disappointed. Are we ready for that day? Are we prepared for that day? Young people, are you guys prepared to see Jesus face to face? It's not a day that we need to be afraid of. We can prepare now by living for Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be suddenly caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. To tie it back to our worship service this morning, it fit perfectly, did it not? Those last two verses in chapter 3 of Philippians that Ken read to us. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we also await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of His glorious body by means of that power by which He is able to subject all things to Himself. So where do we go from here? What do we do? Hopefully, we as a body start preparing for that day. And we do a better job of preparing for that day. And we encourage one another to prepare for that day. The Lord is near. Like Philip said last week, persecution is coming. We don't know when. We don't know when the Lord's coming back. There's a lot of opinions as to when it's going to occur, whether it's the beginning, the middle, the end, whatever. All we know is that God is coming back and we need to be ready for it. And if God chooses to allow our church and allows you to be persecuted for His name, we can go away like James, John, Peter, rejoicing that we were counted worthy to suffer for the name Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater. I would love, I'm sorry, I'm looking up at you guys a lot because as I prepared for this message, it just, I want this for you guys. I want you guys to grab hold of it and realize how important it is. And the opportunity that you've been given to suffer for Jesus. I know in your high schools and in the colleges that you guys face, You're dealing with homosexuality. You're dealing with all kinds of stuff that the older generation didn't have to face. Maybe in a different in a different way. And the challenges for you guys are great, but we can stand firm and we can exhibit that hope that we have in Jesus Christ as we stare at Him. People will ask you, "Why are you different?" You can tell them. And it's not just them, it's us, right? We face it in our world. How do we handle that? We stare at God.
when we see who he is and how great and awesome he is. And he changes us. And that hope deepens and grows. That's great. And that's a great joy and opportunity that we have to see Jesus now face to face as we look in his word, as we stare at him. So I challenge you guys with those three points. Own it, live it, and expect it. Jesus is coming back. Lord, we love you, and we look forward to that day. I just pray, Lord, that each one of us in here would be ready for it, that we would be ready to see you face to face. It's going to be an awesome, awesome thing to celebrate with you in honor of you. I just long for that. I just pray for our youth and our college students that are being bombarded with these things in life. I pray, Lord, that you'd protect them. Give them boldness and courage. Give them a passion and a desire to stare at you. And I pray that the hope that they exhibit would be evident to their friends and that they would take opportunities to say, hey, Jesus is coming back. And I pray that for us as well, that we would be living examples of you and that that hope that we have of seeing you face to face would be visible and that we would be bold and courageous in proclaiming your name to the nations. We love you and we thank you for this morning. Your great, great grace in your name.